now as you hunt today, like who are your, you know, so one of the things you said is it's, you know, it's, it's, it's easier, you know, when you're, when you're wore down at the end of the season and you're like a happy man, cause you're ready to be home. Um, it's a lot easier to do that with a couple bucks, you know, at the taxidermist, yeah. right? Um, yeah. if, if, if you hadn't killed anything on all these trips for all these miles, for all these, you know, hours not slept, um, it would be really difficult to, to hang it up. But from all that success and, and everything, like who are your hunting influences now? Like what, what style of hunting do you gravitate towards? Like in that more calculated approach? Uh, um, well, I, I see the benefits to a more calculated approach. Like, um, you know, I look at someone like, um, Jake Bush, right. He's the most calculated hunter I know. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Now I see the advantages up to it. I see the advantages to it, but I would never, I could never do it. It's not my style. It just wouldn't work for me. Um, but a lot of these, like, you know, uh, the whole, you know, you got your lone wolf crew, right? I mean, they're very calculated people. Um, I, I don't entirely know this, but I believe Andy may to be a very calculated hunter, right? Like he gets his Intel, he does his meticulous scouting. He knows when he has to be there, he goes in and he kills. Um, so, and I think that all those guys are just phenomenal hunters, right? But it's, it's just not my style. It's, it's not, I'm not good at it. I'm not good at running cameras. I suck at cameras. I've got cameras all around the state. I have no idea where the they are you know i just they're just i don't know where they are i don't really care and it's just it's just not my style and i've tried it i tried it this year a little bit in uh indiana had eight cameras stolen and i'm like yep i see this just is not for me you know all that work going to set cameras you know just for nothing but uh it this scrambling and the running around and the figuring it out on the fly. I mean, it's, it's exciting. And this year I did a lot of permission stuff and it was awesome. It added a whole new level of entertainment to the, to the ordeal, you know, cause you're meeting people and I, I really enjoy that. I met some of the best people I've ever met in my life, just asking for hunting permission. I mean, it was cool. It was a cool experience. And that was a goal I had at the beginning of the year. Cause it's so uncomfortable, right? Asking for permission is uncomfortable. And I said, you know, Alex, this year you're going to, you're going to knock on doors, whether you like it or not, because you got to be where the deer are. You know, I, a lot for, for years, I looked at public properties within the, the boundaries, right? And that's just not the best way to do it. You, you got to look at properties without boundaries because you got to be where the deer are. And if you're not, you're wasting your time. So, and that ended up being I mean, the, the two bucks that I killed were both on permission properties adjacent to public because the deer, we knew the deer were on the, on the private. So it's just, that was a huge learning experience, but it was fun. It was fun. It's like, it used to be, oh, we got to go find a new spot. And this year it was like, oh, that, that deer we want to kill is right there. We just got to get right there. And it was just a whole new element to it. And it was a lot of fun. So talk to me about that process. Cause I've never done that. Um, and you know, when I went to Kansas, uh, one of the guys that, um, 
he he was hunting the same unit as me, but they they've been going there. Uh, Tim from uh, Adjustable Red Dot. I don't know if you've met him. Uh, great guy. Yep. He's, he's from the area here, but he's got a couple houses out in Kansas, and he just kept telling me he's like, he's like, you know, you you should probably just knock on some doors. And I was like, I don't know about that. And yeah. so, you know, I fortunately I didn't have to do that. I didn't. I I had a plan though. I had a plan for trying to like work my way into like any sort of uh, permission piece. Uh, but what, what was your like tactic? Cause I mean, I guess my thoughts and I guess probably most of the listeners would, would think the same thing is that if people are hunting the public, the same as you are, that that guy must get asked every day by every hunter who sees that buck across that property line. Um, so what, what's going through your head and how are you approaching like that type of situation or those situations that you found yourself in? Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing I'd say to that is he hasn't been asked by you, right? I mean, there is something to human connection or whatever you want to say, right? Like there are certain people that you like, there are certain people that you meet and like, and there are certain people you meet and don't like. And I believe that that's, you establish that when the first word comes out of their mouth, you might even establish that when you see them walking down the driveway. So I don't think it hurts to ask. Um, but I also, what really helped me is I put myself in their shoes. Like if I owned thousands, some of these people own thousands of acres, they really do. In fact, one of the, in Nebraska, we killed on this little tiny piece. It was nothing but a field The the landowner, had no idea it existed. No, I, he, he didn't even remember it existed, right? Because he's leasing it out to farmers and he just gets his check. So it was nothing to him. And, you know, this is different, different places. Um, but I put myself in their shoes. If I owned all this land and a hunter came up and asked me for hunting permission, I wouldn't be pissed off that he asked me. You know, I would, maybe I wouldn't let him because maybe I want to hunt or my son but I sure as hell wouldn't be pissed off that he came to ask me, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be like, this is, I got respect for this guy. You know, at least he didn't trespass. In fact, I asked permission on probably, I knocked on probably 50 doors at least this year. The only no's that I got were because a son or a grandson were hunting the property. And Probably half of those people thanked me for being polite and, and actually asking permission. In other words, they're used to people just helping themselves. And so, uh, you know, I don't, obviously you're going to run into different people, but um, I had a really positive experience. And I would, I would highly recommend, you know, if you're in a situation where you know that deer that you're trying to kill, because we had eyes on the deer, right? And so we, we knew what was going on. And, uh, if you're in that situation, for me, it's going to be a immediate next step. Like, I'm not going to waste time trying to kill him on the public when I know he's on the private, you know, so. So do you think that, I mean, obviously, in uh, states like, you know, farming states, right? So yeah, Nebraska, I'm sure Kansas is the same way because I, I listened to one of the uh, other podcasts. And uh, they were talking about getting 
permission and how it was kind of difficult for exactly what you uh, had outlined there where, you know, in some of the sections where I was driving around and like where the walk-in was and stuff. I mean, these roads are, (laughs) that's a very loose term. It's more like a tractor path and it's all these like section lines and there might be an old rundown house there that no one lives in, but whoever owns it might be, you know, 40 miles away, 50 miles away. So, so tracking down that person or, you know, you can knock on a door and they say, well, I don't, I don't own that. You know, I don't, he lives two counties over or whatever. So it's, it's different in, in somewhere like that. Now, would you take the same approach here in, in Michigan stuff in the, you know, all of those letters in the mailboxes and getting zero replies. Like, would you still say that that was a viable option here? I think that I don't think you're going to get a response if you put a letter in someone's mailbox. I think you got to, you know, you got to knock on the door with some puppy dog eyes, you know, I mean, <laughs> and I think, you know, the other thing was, is like, we were brutally, I was brutally honest with these people. Like I was not beating around the bush. I, I literally told them, Look, there's a buck I really want to kill. I saw him over there. I'm trying to hunt the public, but he's over there. And the only way I'm going to kill him is if I can hunt your property. I didn't word it like that, right? But I was very, very upfront and blunt. And I think to a certain extent, it may have caught some people off guard, like the the brutal honesty of the situation. You know what I mean? And, um, And so I... I don't know. I'm not saying it'll work every time, but it certainly doesn't hurt to ask. And we did this. So this is this is across four different states this year that this permission thing was a, a thing. And it just I don't know. Like it just worked out for us. We were lucky, I guess. So so one thing I'm going to tie in two questions here that that I have is uh you know you said you walk up there with your puppy dog eyes and and that uh interaction starts from the second maybe that you walk up the driveway and i could just hear some of these people saying you see that boy joan he's got his socks tucked into his pants his pants tucked (laughs) into his socks like he must have something wrong with him so where does that come from like what why why are your socks always your pants always tucked into your socks (laughs) that's from my dad Dude, that's for my dad. But now that you say that, maybe that's why I'm getting, maybe that's why I'm getting yeses. They think I got a problem. Hey, whatever works. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I can talk about the socks. Okay. Cause I know a lot of people have questions. Like, so when I was a kid, I was always taught to tuck my socks and walking around in the woods just to keep ticks out and, and whatever. But also I, I was a huge, uh, river fishermen right so in your waders you always tuck your socks in or your pants into your socks so that your your pants don't ride up in your waders that's never left like i'm comp i'm my ankles don't feel right if my socks are not tucked in and so that's what that's about i know it's weird but it is what it is but so like now uh- you know, we could transition very easily into like that becoming a, like a personality thing, like careful what you wish for. Right. So did you ever think that the sock thing would become a thing? Like people are like, oh man, <laughs> no. sock, pants tucked, like it's serious now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I never thought anything of it, but you know, but what, whatever, what can you do? I mean, I, I think that 
in the beginning you, you were talking about how like you know we feel it's important that we don't outsource the personality behind the brand and i still believe that to this day i believe it more today than i did when we first had that conversation and it's just because the brand is an extension of us i mean we, we poured everything our, our whole lives is poured into this it really is and to, to outsource that and expect the um i guess the message that we want to get across to actually come across is an impossible thing it really is. And, but it's also, you know, building relationships with, with our customers. Like we want everyone to know who we are. Like I want people to know who they're buying from. Like we're, we're not some like, you know, hidden people just trying to make some money. Like this is what we love to do. And, and that's important to me. And, and that's why we're doing this. And Jake and Kev, I think might think I'm a little crazy at this point. Um, but they're still letting me do it. So, you know, I, I won't complain. Uh, now, how do you choose, like, uh, so what states did you hunt this year? And like, how did you choose? Why did you choose them? Etc. Um, So we hunted Nebraska, Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan. Um, I think that's it. We chose them. So I, I I have this like dream in my head where at some point I'm, I can kill in five states in one year. That's like my dream. And it's like the ultimate scramble, right? Like you barely have enough time to even hunt five states, you know, prime in a really productive time of the year. So, um, so I believe that over time, right? Even when we go and we're unsuccessful, over we're, we're accumulating knowledge as we go. Every year we go, every year we do this, we have better encounters and we have more encounters. And it's only a matter of time before those stack up. At least that's what I keep telling myself, right? And so why did we pick those states? Because we just because we we randomly chose those to hunt at some point. So we have some history in those states going. We have momentum going, I guess is one way to put it. Um, you know, Michigan's an obvious one, but at some point you got to make a decision. And, and it's also about aligning the seasons, the gun seasons, right? So Indiana comes in the 12th, right? But Ohio comes in, uh, whatever date it is, the 25th, 20, whatever, end of the month. So like those two work together pretty well. And then you got Wisconsin that ends up being in the middle. So you can kind of stagger those out. So those states align from a, from a season perspective. Um, at least that's our theory on it right now. So we'll see if that ever happens, but that's really how we chose them just because we have some history. We have some momentum going, or at least we think we do. Uh, and we're just running with it. Proximity to home too. So from that standpoint though, it seems like if that were the case, like a, you could either like take the, um, I don't want to call it an easy road because we talked the whole time prior to this uh, hitting record here about how uh, difficult it is to kill a deer, right? Yeah. Sometimes. And, yeah. uh, you know, you could just kill the first thing that walked by and say, I just want to hit my my five five deer slam, right? Or, you know, you chose states where, you know, good or bad, um, 
the the you know with the outside of Nebraska, but I don't think it's too far off. Um, like all the ruts kind of line up. Where if you were to add a state like Alabama or Florida or somewhere down south where they get a different rut every week, you could just bounce around the state. You know, it might change things up a little bit, and that kind of gets into the question. You know, so I. I I posed the question to a bunch of the listeners of like, what do they want to talk to you about? Like what questions do they have for you? And like, one of them was like, what's your favorite time of year to hunt and like what terrain? Like, so if you, if you said, okay, Alex, like Jake and Kev had an intervention, you know, all their wives sat down with you and you know, you, you guys were what, what happened with the sticks, right? You were uh, sitting Indian style in the backyard and they said, you know what, Alex, (laughs) This isn't working. You can only hunt. You're going to get 10 days and you can only hunt one state. Like what terrain are you picking? What time of year and and why? I would be, I'd be in the hills. I'd probably be, I'd be in the hills a hundred percent. And I'd be there around Halloween, Halloween into the first week of November, a hundred percent. I, ideally, so if you gave me 10 days, I'd probably want to be there from October 20, 26th through, what, November 4th, 5th. That that would be my, my favorite time, most enjoyable time. I think that's terrible. Um, why uh, would you choose that? And I, and I say that because, like, the last year, that's when, it, when we first went to Ohio. Um, I was like, man, I was drinking the Jake Bush Kool-Aid. I was like, I know the area, like I've killed down there. Like I've seen tons of bucks. Like that was always the time frame that we went and we just got our teeth kicked in. Like, I mean, yeah. Eric, my buddy, Eric, who's a freaking stone cold killer, didn't even see a deer. Um, yeah. you know, and I, I could have killed some small bucks and I had that really big one, you know, in there after dark. And, but I mean, we just got like manhandled down there. And so like, what is it about the Hills? Like in, is your style, like the Jake Bush style where you want to be like down in the hubs and you're just hunting the scrape and all that stuff. Or like, what's your style? How, how are you setting up in these places? Well, you, well, you gave me, you gave me a one week, right? So that week I choose, I choose that week, not because that's the best week to kill a big buck. I choose that week because it's the most beautiful time to be in the woods and in the hills. There's nothing like a sunrise in the hills when the, when, when the leaves are on fire. I mean, it is gorgeous. This, uh, the deer we shot in Wisconsin was on October 30th. And I swear to you, the wood, we were hunting in red. It was like orange light. It was just an incredible scene. And so that's a big part of my answer. Like, I'm kind of a, I wouldn't say a hippie, but like I'm out there because I love being in the woods. I really am. Now, I also think it's a good time to kill big bucks, though. I really do. And I think it does depend on where you are. Ohio is very different than Wisconsin. Very different timing wise. So in Wisconsin, during that time, it's, it's nuts. I mean, I missed... In a three-day window, I missed three bucks in Wisconsin before I shot that buck. I mean, it's crazy. So it, it is a little dependent on that. 
I am thinking about that area. I, I don't want to like give the area away. It's a very small area, very limited property, but I'll, I'll put a pin just, in the show notes. I, I've been there just, yeah, I'll <laughs> let you do that. <laughs> so, but it's just, uh, anyway, a big part of that, that my answer is just, it's a gorgeous time to be in the woods and it, it, it just, I, I love it. So if I had one week, that's when it would be. And so like, what is your, um, so for that 10 days, okay, this is one of the things for, for guys that travel or guys that are going on their trips. And and one of the things I remember us talking about previously, and, uh, we, we were texting about it when I was going to Kansas, uh, because it was, you know, as far as like the hunting party was, was me. Um, I ended up staying with some guys that, uh, that I had met, uh, from, from Michigan and that, uh, but wasn't like we did not go out there together and scout and do all the stuff. It, it was more of a, a solo kind of hunt. And I've, I've talked to guys that it's really, uh, they get really discouraged really quickly. And I was in my mind trying to like curb all of that, just saying, okay, well, I got lots of time. I want to prioritize my time. I want to, you know, not put all my eggs in one basket and, you know, I want to kind of see what the deer are doing and all of that stuff. So for that 10 days, like, how are you, like, what are you focusing on in the Hills? How are you, um, prioritizing your time and ver- you know, because, you know, some of these guys, they want to go glass everybody who's, you know, successful. It sounds like, you know, I got to drive around. I got to check every single parking area. I got to do everything. Um, you know, how are you prioritizing that time? And then uh, I guess after this year and like your success knocking on doors, like how does that change? You know, does that change uh, how you look at that, that time now? Yeah. So I, I admittedly, I struggle with that because I just, I'm, I'm so excited to get in the tree that the driving around scouting part of the trip is very difficult for me. And I feel like I'm, I'm missing an opportunity with that being said, all these people that talk about driving around now, I don't check parking lots, like that makes no difference to me, but finding deer, just deer, <laughs> just find a deer, a deer. That's like step. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I've made that mistake a million times. You got to find deer. So however you want to do that, whether it's walking around to bump something. If you're after October 25th, I would argue that a good strategy is just to walk around until you bump something, bump a doe, just bump a buck. They're going to come back. Like, you know, I was, I've always been skeptical of that just the way I was raised as a hunter. Like, Oh, you got to be super careful. Like you don't, they don't care. They don't, they will come back. And so you got to find deer. Like that's definitely step one. Um, and then, man, from there, you could go a million different directions. I mean, there's just a lot of different variables. I think the key to the whole thing though, is you kind of touched on this is staying positive. Like on these trips, it's, it's, it's added stress because you have a, a limited time and there's a ticking time, time clock. Right. And so it's very difficult to stay positive. And I think if there's anything that really my bet, I'm not the best hunter, but I am extremely positive. Every sit I am 
I have the mindset that I'm just, I'm crossing things off the list. And if it's not for this trip, it's for the trip next year. So I think that that is like a crucial skill to, to hone in. Uh, if you're going to do this flying around the scramble thing, because look, you're going to have bad hunts if you're doing it this way. If you don't have information in the area you're going to, you're going to have bad hunts because there's just too many variables. They're wild animals and they don't do the same shit every time. <laughs> they don't. It's just, they're random. And so I, I think finding deer and staying positive are the two things that like I would focus on more than anything else. Just make sure you're getting up in the morning, you know, because it's so easy to sleep in. So. So there's a phenomenon that I've experienced multiple times and I, I don't know if you get the same like bad mindset or, or whatever, but it's like going into that, like last day or like the day before the last day, like we got to go home tomorrow or we got to leave by this certain time. I, I feel like there's two kinds of people that they're like, I'm going to get super aggressive and I'm going to do, I'm going to go in and I'm, I'm going to kill. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers. If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that mint mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three month plan, I thought, what's the catch. But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off whatever I'm going to kill right now, or there's guys and I've, I've found myself in this position. I mean, you could kind of argue that it happened to me. Well, what would have been yesterday morning? Um, but like that last morning, last sit last night, I mean, I, I stalked in on that buck on, and like, I, I found a reason not to shoot, shoot that deer when I was in Idaho. Cause we were, I mean, granted we were seven miles from the truck, but it was like, you know, we got to go home tomorrow. I don't want to be chasing this deer through, you know, um, in, or saying like, well, I got to go home tomorrow. And if I shoot something, then it's going to push us back. So I'm just not going to hunt, or I'm just going to give up the, the last two sits or whatever. Um, 
Like, have you experienced that? And like, how do you curb that? Or, or what, what side of the fence do you fall on? Um, I, I don't, I guess I'm definitely not on the side where it's like, I'm going to go in and kill anything. Like I'm okay. I'm okay. Leaving empty handed. If that answers your question. I mean, again, it's just cause I have this like crazy dream, right. That someday I'm going to, going to be able i'm going to have enough time spent that i'm going to be able to fly around and all the stars are going to align and i'm going to have this like crazy season so and i think that i've like formulated this in my head just to keep myself positive because it's so easy to get down i mean we i mean we had i mean just failure after fit hunting is failure it's just failure over and over and over again and then eventually it happens but that's the amazing thing about it, right? Like you can be having the worst time in the woods you've ever had. And then in an, in, a, in an instant, it's just totally different. It just totally changes. And I think, I don't know, I think that mindset is really important. And I think that the really good consistent hunters have that because you just, you get burnt out. I see it all the time. I see it with our, our group all the time, right? And so, I don't know. It's... um. So to answer your question, like, I'm okay if I don't shoot something, as long as I learn something. But I think there, but what I'm talking about, I think more is like where I fall in is, is like, you're at that, like, like, it's almost like the morning before you leave, you're like, man, cause if, you know, if I shoot something tonight, then I mean, you know, if I got to track it tomorrow and then like the next morning, it's like, well, you know, if I shoot something, then it's going to push us way back and we're going to have to figure out, you know, and the positive guy in me, like what I would tell other people um, is that like, those are good problems to have, right? Like, you know, now, now you got to scramble to get this deer processed yeah. or, or, or whatever, you know, pushes you back. But that's like, that's why you're there. You know, that's why you took the time. That's why all that yeah. stuff is there. Um, but I think a lot of guys, and especially like on a solo type deal where, you know, it's like, yeah. it's just me or like, I don't know, you know, I don't know, guy. Especially, you know, and I think we're in a different. Um, I don't want to say like echelon, um, but we have like a crazy support system. Like if you, if if yeah, you could text anybody, and you could you could text Andy May or Jake Bush or whoever, and be like, "What do you think about this?" You know, and get a response yeah. back. You know, um, where you know somebody might, you know, just be trying this for the first time on their own. Um, and, and I think that that maybe plays in a, a little bit to it too, right? For, for sure. I mean, I guess had the like last day thing. It's just that's a just a it's just a logistical a logistical uh, a cumbersome logistical issue. And my whole life is a logistical issue. So like, <laughs> I don't even think about that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, hey, well, yes, we'll figure out how to deal with this now. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess I'm probably not the right guy to ask that question to. I mean, so, so that's not the best answer. So why do you focus on the Hills? Like what, what is it that you love about the Hills other than the, you know, we'll, we'll remove the, 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 the hippie, uh, really enjoy the, the serene yeah. beauty of the rolling Hills. Um, but why for deer hunting? what draws you to the hills it's absurdly complicated 
like every time I went to Hills, my mind is blown over and over and over again. I mean, I've seen at this point, I've seen the wind do things that I didn't even think was possible. I mean, I have totally blown out so much, <laughs> so many acres of property hunting. It's amazing to me. And it's like, you can never figure it out. Every day is different. This year I got frustrated and we, I didn't get frustrated, but I'm like, this isn't working, right? Like looking at the wind the night before and going in and hunt, getting in there, making sure access is good for that wind and setting up. It screwed me so many times that I just stopped doing that. And I said, we're just going to start walking and we're going to see where we end up based on the wind. Cause like we, we had to, you have to find these little nooks and crannies where it works. It's just fascinating to me because it's, it is so complicated. You could, you could scout it your whole life. You know, they talk about wind mapping and stuff like that's bull. That's bullshit. Like every day is different. Okay. You got different pressures. You got different UV levels, right? Like all of that stuff is affecting things and it's impossible to get a handle on. Um, so I think I'm just, it's, it's like an impossible thing to figure out. And it's just addicting because it's always different every time you do it. So uh, what, what I'm hearing you say kind of is kind of like the way I feel about, you know, not having trail cameras or going in and going into a new spot and like when it works, like it's like the, yeah. it's like that. Yes. you just it's almost like you're in disbelief like like yes i was right i was right i finally i was right you know (laughs) that's exactly that's exactly the feeling adam it's like it's a it's a feeling of such shock we shot that deer in nebraska this year and like man we fucked that deer like and it was all he was so screwed and it's just like and it was awesome like it was so calculated I loved every second of it, but I wasn't surprised. Like he was screwed and it's just, it's just a different terrain. And in the hills, like when something works, you're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. I I can't believe that actually worked. You know? And you know, I I don't know if I said it on the last podcast or not. um, But like that deer that I killed in Kansas, like, I think I did say it, but you know, it, it goes right along with this is like, you know, Frank and I were talking and he's like, you know, you know, one time out of a thousand, does that scenario work? And I just, I it just in my head, like it turned around and I was like, well, I think you have to be in there and mess up those other 999 times yeah. for it to be there when it does work. Because if you're not putting in the effort and it, and you're not failing, you're not learning, but you're also never going to put your in a, yourself in a position to win. And I, I think, you know, that, that to me is like when you can make that f- go from, you know, one in a thousand to one in a hundred or one in 50, you yes. know, you know, that that's where you're, that's where you're learning. And I think that that's where, you know, we, we are so indoctrinated to think that, everybody on social media is the greatest hunter in the world. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's really funny. I think you do like a really good job with your, your hunt breakdowns and stuff like that. And, and saying like, okay, this is what I was thinking. This is how this worked. But like, 
sometimes I think that, and this is no knock against you because I think they're really good. And I think, you know, the hunting public do it also. um, But it's like really easy when it works to be like, oh yeah, the deer did this. And this is what I thought. And like, but like, if you had a hunt breakdown of every other time that the wind, you know, created a dust devil at the bottom and like the deer ran off before, you know, before you even like saw them, you know, all of a sudden you just saw a tail and you're like, well, where the fuck did that deer go? How, how'd my wind get over there? You know? So it's, it's really easy to, to be like, Oh, you know, I sat up here, I ran cameras all year and I knew it was going to work. And like, how many times did you sit there before that? And you saw yes. nothing or like whatever, you know, it's yeah. just like, it's real easy to, to, to map it out when it works, you know, it's, yes. it's cool to explain to people, but at the same time, it's like, we all mess up so many times. And and I think the guys that are just learning or the guys that are, you know, trying to get better or whatever, they forget about that, you know? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like we're screwing up constantly and in that and I, I probably screw up more than most, but all of these guys, right. They are screwing up 90% of the time. And it appears as if they're extremely efficient. They're going in there. They know what they're doing. They kill the deer. That is not how it works. What you said about the one out of a thousand going to one out of a hundred, going to one out of 50, you're talking about, you know, going down to what, what one, 2% like that. Yes, that is reality. And so that's progress in the right direction. That's how I view everything. But there is a lot of screw ups in there. It's impossible not to do that. It's impossible. So when you, I mean, understanding that these things are like completely unpredictable or whatever, but when you go to the hills, like, where do you start? Like, if you're looking at terrain features or whatever, and, you know, obviously you got your leeward sides and the wind and blah, blah, blah. But like, what is it that you're, you're focusing on? If you're like, okay, I'm in a new spot. Here's some Hills. Um, what is it on the map? That's like, you're saying, okay, uh, I'm going to mark off these three, four terrain features. So I, if you asked me this, like four years ago or so, I would have just said, if I look for my leeward points for buck batting, uh, and then I just try and figure out how to get in there, right? Like that would have been it. What I've learned in the past four years since then is that it's way less consistent than that. And especially if you're hunting the hills during any phase of the rut. I mean, I would say anytime from October 20th, um, it's it's a game of finding does and finding the right does. And the, the tricky thing is, is that the does those things are the most random creatures I've ever dealt with in my life. (laughs) I mean, I've seen them bed in every scenario possible. I will say that if you have steep terrain and it's cold and everybody said this, the South facing, they need to get some sun. They like those spots that get sun and the bucks know that. So there is some concentration there. I, I can say that fairly confidently. I mean, you, you don't, you need some, you need some sun if you're in that later phase of the season to get does to bed there. Um, so that's where I start is finding deer. So it's not a mapping thing. It used to be a mapping thing. And I use maps to figure out where I want to look, like where I think I might be able to find a deer, but I usually end up finding deer where I don't, where I didn't expect. 
So I don't have a great answer for that. Um, but I would, you know, if it's cold, they got to get some sun. That's, it's as simple as that. So um, as you're going in and like doing your scouting or, or whatever, like as you're going to these areas and you're saying, okay, well, I just need to find deer. Like is a, is a physical deer the, the goal um, or are you paying attention to sign, uh, you know, yeah, scrapes, tracks, rubs, all that stuff. Um, tracks are for me, tracks are, tr- have been tricky because I think it's, and this is just a, 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 a skill level thing for me. I'm just not, I'm not a super tracker. Like I couldn't age a track. Like that kind of looks fresh, kind of looks old. I'm not really sure. What I like to see is I like to see a scrape with some shit and some piss in it. That's what I really like to see. Um, outside of see physically seeing a deer, my my number one thing I like to see is that scrape that's actually been hit like today, um, which that seems fairly obvious. Now rubs, rubs have become more important to me this year than they have in the past, and I think it's just it's just over time, right? You start to get a little better, and we're starting to play around with some bigger deer and I'm starting to to realize that those bigger deer are laying down some very strategic rubs. And one of those things that's helped out tremendously is just the the traditional rut post rub. I mean, both of the deer we shot this year and I shot a third, I shot a third deer that we didn't recover in Ohio last week, actually. All of those were based on rut post rubs. So, and so what would you define as a rut post rub? It's, it seems random. Like, like those areas where you see a bunch of rubs, those can be good. So in Wisconsin, there was this ridge top. It had just, it, it's dead everywhere. But then all of a sudden you run into this area and it's just got like some, you can just tell that some deer was in there pissed off. Like you just having a temper tantrum. And, and I think that if you can time it right, when you find those, those rubs that are just a pissed off deer rub, you're good to go, but you got to time it right. I've hunted those areas and it's just been dead before. Cause I haven't timed it right now. The rut post rub, I believe that, the deer kind of move the, the, the dominant buck will move into an area where there's a doe group right and he lays down this this rut post rub and and that's his communication post for the area it's his way of saying this is my spot and he's in there and he he marked it for a reason and the ones that i'm referring to from this year were out were, were in doe bedding basically or or right out of doe bedding and he was bedded in there both of them we killed out of doe bedding on the edge of doe bedding. And that's where those rut post rubs. I, I started calling it caution tape. You know, it's like, it's like, look, this is my zone. These are my chicks. Don't come in here. That's how it feels. That's, I know it's a weird way to describe it, but that's how it feels when I see it in the woods. It's like caution tape. And so in both of those scenarios, we rattled and that's, and it just, boom because they thought somebody came inside the caution tape so like 
it's hard to explain without seeing it because it's very subtle too. Like they aren't these big crazy rubs. It they're just these. You can tell it's a bigger deer, and I don't know if it's a height thing, but it just it seems so calculated where they are. That's the best way I can describe it. And is there is, is there something that you heard one time, or um, anything, or is that just an observation that you've you've come across? Because I I don't think I've ever heard that term, um, and I can think of some scenarios in both cases, like where, I, I mean, I, I can think of one where there was a, a, a spot where that was just completely decimated by this deer. Everything was like super fresh sat there. I think I saw six does. It was just transition area and, uh, didn't see any bucks. And then when they were coming to pick me up, cause I'd been dropped off there, just a monster buck came across right at dark, you know, after dark and was coming right down in there. And it was just like you said, like a timing thing. Like I was, it was just, there was nighttime sign, like whatever. And then I can think of other times. I mean, hell, like I said, like when we were in Indiana, like right the day that I left, like going into that doe bedding, like where I knew the does were, I knew there was deer. I saw like two or three bucks that, that morning, just off a of doe bedding, but like right where I was at, the day before there wasn't any rubs and there was a big scrape and this really tall rub right, right there. And it was like, what you're saying is like exactly the scenario. It was just, we had to leave, you know, that, yeah. that day, but that that's the day that it turned on. So like, wh- is that, was that strictly an observation or did you hear that somewhere? Did you, is that someone else's tactic? So here's what happened. I, I used to hunt this spot in, down in Michigan, right an hour away from my house in southeast Michigan. And it's your typical southern Michigan spot where you got, you know, 90% of the property is big time swamp. And then you have some higher, uh, like, oak ridges. And then there's this one section of it that is just a bunch of standing pines. Like, it looks like a total dead zone. But the does always move through there every night. And so one one year, this is probably, this is a long time ago now. One year I found this rub randomly in this big standing pine. I mean, the standing pine thing is probably, it's at least 500 yards by 500 yards. It's a big set of pines. And I just randomly was walking this doe trail and I found this one single random big ass rub, the biggest rub I've ever seen in that area. One of the biggest rubs I've ever found in Southern Michigan was one rub. At the end of the last week of October, like the 20th through the 27th or so, I sat that spot three times and every single time I sat it, I had a buck come and rub that just after it got dark. I could hear him rubbing it. So I, I never got a shot at him. The following year, I went and sat in there. And it was right before a big thunderstorm. So we had this huge pressure drop. I honestly, I felt like I was in danger with the storm rolling in. But it got that buck moving. And I'm sitting there totally silent. All of a sudden, I hear just this like, you know, big, deep grunts going on. 
you can't hear any deer walking because of the pines. And I look over and crossing this little sliver through the pines going from one edge of the swamp to the other edge of the swamp is this, the biggest deer I've ever seen in Michigan on a doe cutting that corner right through that rut post crossing into the other swamp. And so like, you know, I don't know what that proved, but ever since that happened, right, those three times I sat it in a row where he came and hit it. And then that encounter with that giant, I mean, I just, I've always looked for those and they're hard to find, which makes me believe that they're worth something because they are hard to find. I don't think those big bucks, I don't think they're rubbing trees like crazy. And if they are, it's earlier in the season. This is just my opinion. But if you find one that's fresh later in the year, and you you can feel it when it's one of these rubs I'm talking about, those are the ones that, like, you, you, you're in the zone. Like, that's a setup immediately situation for me. That's what happened in Ohio last week. Um, you're setting up right to uh... – shoot the rub you're you're setting up like a natural rut movement like downwind of the bedding um that's just telling you that you're in the right spot now you need to find the spot within the spot like most of the time they're on this is my theory i mean most of the time i find them they're on a trail they're on a doe trail you know like it's a fairly beat down trail and if you look at the i'm thinking about the one in ohio from last week like if you look at the topography in that situation and then the sign on the ground with, with just beat down trails, like it's fairly obvious how they're moving through there. And then based on the wind, you just, you can set up so that you're safe if movement happens. Um, and I, I, my thought on it is, is that like they mark that area and they, they kind of monitor that area. Like they're sitting there because does are moving through there. They've marked it to, to tell the other bucks, this is my spot. I'm here. And they sit there and they're waiting for the right doe to come by. Cause they don't want to, those big bucks. I don't think they move. They don't move around chasing does. Like I've seen that for years now. Like I don't think the biggest bucks are chasing does that hard. Now in some of these competitive areas, right. They definitely are, but most of the areas we're in are just not like that. You know? So that's something else. Like, that I've noticed like from watching your videos and I got to say you guys are doing uh, amazing things with the grit, both with like the, the production quality is, is great, but like being true to yourselves, like showing like how far along Jake is on the spectrum and like <laughs> your, you know, your, your drive and, and, and Jake and all that, like, you know, just this, the, the, the comedy that's in there, leaving the stuff, you know, that the frustrations and all the goofing around and all that stuff. Um, but kind of showing everything that, that you guys are actually doing and, and, and going through, you're doing a, a, a great job there. Um, but with that, like your setups, one of the things that I've like noticed is that like, I, <sighs> it's it's funny like like greg litzinger right he's like i'm a terrible rut hunter and i'm like that's the only way that i like know how to hunt just because it's like i feel like i'm you know billy joe freaking 
overalls, like just going out there and I'm like, well, I'm going to, I know there's deer here. So there's a buck going to move through here. And I don't ever think about like, kind of like what you just said, like that those big bucks don't really move around like that or whatever. Like I'm, I'm completely devoid of like buck bedding or like where a buck would be bedding. Cause I don't, I guess, I guess maybe like, I'm just like that naive or like not smart enough to like look at it in terms of like that. I just think about like, well, these bucks are, you know, running themselves ragged. They're not like bedding down, like as we would typically think of it, you know, cause everybody says that, well, bucks are just running, you know, for a month straight or, or whatever. So I like it's never once like entered my mind, like from, that window that you said from Halloween to, you know, mid November, like our gun season, like where but Thanksgiving that these bucks are bedded down unless they're bedded down with a doe. So like, how does that play into like your thought process? Cause you just said, okay, well, these are set up on, you know, movement areas, doe movement, and these bucks will be on there when the right doe comes by. How does that buck bedding kind of play into the rut? I don't, I don't know exactly how or why I'm just, this is just solely based on observation this year. And so the the deer I shot last week, he was alone, better on a point. He got up out of bed. He could have went one in two ways. He could have dropped down through the drainage or he could have got up and went into the wind out to that rut post. We happened to be sitting on that rut post and that's what he did. There was the biggest deer uh, in Wisconsin that we saw. There was chasing going on. Like I said, I missed three, three. This sounds crazy. I missed three bucks that morning. And the biggest deer that we saw was not one of the one I missed. He was actually all alone, standing late morning, right next to a bed that was on the edge of this field. And all he did is he got up and he checked, he sent check this field. And we saw him get back down and he laid down in bed. And that bed is the, it's almost impossible to hunt it, but he's in a bulletproof spot. But that bed is at the intersection point. And this is big, steep country. So like the deer movement is funneled. Like it really is. I mean, they can move up steep stuff, but like the majority of the movement is very funnel. And that bed is set up with a rut post rub right off of it, one single one, right at the intersection of the main ridge. And that's where every deer on this property works through there. And so this just adds to the theory, right? When when I see this stuff is because I got, we got bucks chasing the night before. You're, you're not going to believe this, but I missed a deer the night before that too. And that was in a spot where we had all those rubs. It looked like somebody was pissed off in there. We climbed up a tree. I smacked the antlers together. It was one of the Black Friday ads. A really nice, you know, a mature buck came screaming in. I missed him too, of course. And But that big buck was not involved in any of this. And I'm talking like you saw the buck from last year in Wisconsin, right? Like it was that caliber deer. He wasn't. He wasn't doing any of that. Like he wasn't even involved. And so those are the the things that have just kind of changed my opinion on the rut. Like with those really 
big deer. And even that deer in Nebraska, like he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't running around. This was November 4th or 5th we shot him. And you'll see this on video, but like he was just hanging out, monitoring his his area. We got him on trail camera uh, the night before. I hung a camera on this little licking branch that we found. And that night before, this big doe, one of the biggest does I've ever seen, I thought it might be a cow. I was like, what the hell is that? She came up and hit it. And then an hour and a half later, that buck came up to that scrape. So he's not like dogging her like you would envision, myself included. Like we kept asking ourselves over and over this year, like what, where, what is the rut happening? And so I just, I think it's, just it depends on a lot of factors like in kansas you see a lot of that or, or what that's just an example because i'm thinking of like michael waddell rattling and having bucks going nuts right i just think there's a lot of variables and most of the areas we're in we just we don't have that super competitive atmosphere it seems like i mean we spend a lot of time in the woods around a lot of deer you'd think we'd run into it you know like, but who knows yeah like Where'd i said it Wild animal. Just watching the grit and like watching like your your guys's approach, and then like even listening to like Aaron with the fall when they were in Kansas, they were like talking about like oh these bucks are going to be bedded over here and there's going to be does and this kind. And I was like, never once like past October 25th have I ever thought like this is where bucks are going to be bedded, and that's like probably super naive but it's just like i i just feel like these deer are just going to be be cruising but i think maybe that's that that whole like michigan type mentality where you're 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 only thinking in terms of like what you've seen with your own eyes and until you i don't know like level up or you you know make these observations like you you've had here that it that it starts to click right yeah no you're exactly right I, I was i was the same way until i just it just i saw it so many times i'm like this i don't know <laughs> i think i might have been wrong and I, the first time it happened was in michigan and um well there was that one scenario but i had another scenario in michigan in in the swamp where i watched this it, it was just he was a gorgeous 10 point and he did not move. And I saw at least eight does come in to that bedding area as if they were looking to see if it was their turn. Like, and there were bucks all over the place. There were subordinate bucks, smaller bucks that were going in and they would get like 75 yards away from this deer. And they would like, like look around to see what's going on. Like, uh Oh, is he in there? Like, is he, is he busy? Like, you know, and they would just turn around and leave. And I'm like, what the fuck? So it's all, I don't know the answer, but I just, it's just what I've seen. And I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Well, well, but it's something that you said earlier is that these, I mean, and, and this is, you know, it, I, I feel like a, a lot of times, like, especially like with our Patreon group and, and like all that, I mean, it's an incredible support system for like when you mess up or any of this stuff. But I feel like the guy that's like, you know, if you can, you do, but if you can't, you teach. And so like, I'm, I'm like the guy that's like, like Mr. Positive. I'm like, same thing. Like it only takes once, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta mess up all these like million times, but at the same time, it's like, 
you know, if you're making these observations, then like it's not wrong. Right. So it's like, you have to be there to, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You have to see it with your own eyes. Like you, when you see it, like, so what are you seeing and how are you breaking down that information? Right. And like, so to me, that is like the main thing. Like, it doesn't have to be like somebody else said it. Like it, it, yeah, it's the way that you're, it's the way that the deer are using the woods. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you're touching on something that I actually think is extremely important. And well, two things is first of all, you know, what works for someone, for, for someone else might not work for you. I don't know why, but I, I know that that is real because I see multiple people running different programs and it works every time for one of them and it works zero times for another one of them. So I take what you want from that. I don't know what that means, but it might just not be for you. Like trail cameras for me, I suck at it. And, and the other thing is, is that like, if you're getting frustrated and this is something that I've learned the hard way over time because I used to be a very frustrated competitive hunter is that like the failures are what make it so special when you finally kill something like that feeling that high when you shoot that buck that's special to you that wouldn't exist without that struggle. So like, you know, it, it's a win. Like it's the whole process is is part of it. And you just, you got to embrace it. Now it's very difficult to do that. It's very easy to get frustrated. Well, it's like we talked about like before is, is that like what I, I felt like my, I got like kind of cheated in Kansas and it's crazy to be like, Oh, you know, I went there, I went there to shoot a deer and I did, and I'm super elated, but it's supposed to be really hard. Like it's supposed to suck. Like it's, it's supposed to like, you know? Um, and I don't know why that's so hard to like wrap your head around. And, you know, one of the things that you had said earlier, uh, previously too, is that, you know, what you learn from all of the travel and no sleep and everything is like that. It's, it's gotta be fun. Like, you know, you got, you gotta keep it fun. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what yeah. what you meant by that like i mean you know it's amazing we have these conversations about trying to kill deer but you know men are just men in general and i say men just because it's it's a, a psychological thing is that like we're wired to be obsessed with figuring things out and when we aren't able to figure things out, we get really, really frustrated. That's deer hunting, right? Like we're trying to figure out this thing and it sucks and we're tired. And I think that you have to constant, at least for me, I have to constantly remind myself of what I'm doing. And it makes me think of what you said about Kansas, right? Like you felt like you got, um, you know, you didn't get the experience that you were looking for. Like, and that's what it's all about that, you know, you feel that way because that's what this is all about. It's all about that experience because there's, there's really nothing else in life that can give you that feeling 
when you struggle, when you work your ass off, you struggle and you finally shoot that big buck. Like none of us are starving, right? Like we love this. We love being a part of, of, you know, the natural world. Like I'm very passionate about that, but at the same time, it shouldn't be as extreme as it is, but it is. And it's just, it's because it's all about the experience and you got to remind yourself of that because it's easy to lose sight of that. And you lose sight of it because of competition, competitiveness, social media. Like it's so easy to fall into that, right? Like I'll be scrolling and, you know, like uh, some tethered guy, I'll shoot a nice buck and I'll have a moment of being pissed, you know? And I'm like, why am I pissed? That's awesome. Like, you know, it, but it took me a long time to get to that point. Like, it, it's hard to turn that off and realize that this is all for you. you know? Well, I think it's like a, a, a reflection, right? Of like who you are. Um, and, you know, I've, I've said it a lot of times, um, but you know, Frank's buddy, Ernie, he told me one time, he said, he said, you know, hunting is a jealous man sport. And yeah. like, I've never forgot that because I didn't, I do not feel that way. Like the buck that's real similar to this one. That's in the other room. Like I shot that deer on a day that Ernie and I entered the swamp this way. We set Frank in a spot and that's where he always hunted. And we walked and we got to the edge of this marsh and one of us was going left and one of us was going right. And I said, Ernie, what way do you want to go? And he said, well, you know, whatever. And I said, well, I'll just go this way and go down here. And I killed that deer. And when, you know, Ernie and I like met back up, I told him, I was like, man, I'm sorry. Like this could have been your deer, you know, like, you know, it wasn't yeah. like, it wasn't like a big pat on the back for me where it was like, you know, the biggest deer that I've killed in Michigan, but it wasn't like, ah, look what I did. It was like, yeah. it was like, man, it could have been, you know, should have been yours. Like my daughter killed that deer, um, you know, over the weekend and, you know, her, her cousin had actually sat there and her cousin had never killed the deer. And, uh, you know, when we were getting, we had hunted that spot in the morning and because they didn't get up, you know, like you said, it's easy to not get up. They didn't get up and we saw a deer there. So that, that next night, you know, I asked my daughter, I said, where are we going to hunt? She goes, well, we're going right back there. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's not really how it works. You know, that was kind of like their spot. If they, you know, and they had messed up on a deer the night before I said, if they want to hunt there, like we'll, we'll let them hunt there. And then she ended up killing that deer. And then I felt really bad for my brother. Cause I was like, well, she's never killed a deer either. And like, I just don't have that. Like, I think about it as like, I think hunting is like from like your hippie side of it is like a super introspective thing. And I think if you're doing it to like compare yourself to everybody else, then like, I don't know, some people get off on that, but I think for, for a lot of like, for me, it's the challenge against myself. And like I said earlier, like when you go in and it works, like, and you were right. And especially like when you go in blind and like you, then you see a deer or you see like a buck or something, there's nothing better. Like whether you kill him or not, it's like, man, I was yeah. right. I was right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the moment that your motivations as a hunter 
are to kill a bigger buck than someone else or to be seen as a better hunter than someone else, that's when you've lost. You've lost, you've lost sight of what this is all about. That's what I, that's what I remind myself of. And as soon as I start to feel that it's time to take a break or it's time to go home. Yeah. So in, in, in that vein, um, cause I, I wanted to ask you this earlier. I forgot. Um, you're just flinging arrows at all of these deer. Like what, yeah. what's the, the Alex chop criteria for, uh, an out of state deer. Cause it, it, you're a very like, uh, passionate guy. Right. So, I mean, it would seem like it wouldn't take very much for you to get jacked up when no. a deer's running by. And I mean, are you, are you flinging arrows at just every, you know, hundred inch buck that runs by because, because you're uh, jacked or, or what's, what's going on there? And why are you missing? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, but so back to the first question, uh, are you asking like, what's my like side? Like, what am I willing yeah, to shoot at? Yeah. Kind of. Cause I mean, like, cause you're like, oh, you'll never believe this, but I, I mean, so in, it sounds like in the span of like, 14 hours you missed four bucks and yeah. maybe maybe killed the yeah. fifth one so i mean yeah yeah um well so i guess is your first question like what are my standards uh, kind of but i mean what gets you excited i guess oh uh, a lot of different things get me excited i mean <laughs> like if it if the situation excites me i'm shooting like it doesn't have to be a giant I don't know if that answers your question. Why am I missing? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I can tell you recently why I missed. So if, if, if I go to the range and I'm consistent at like the distance thing, like I'm comfortable shooting out to 50. So, and that's because when I go to the range, I can hit 10 out of 10 kill shots at 50. Like if I can go cold and shoot 10 out of 10 at 50, there's no reason I not going to take that shot. The problem is, is that when you get in the tree and you've got deer running around and you've got your hunting areas that you don't know, and you got deer coming from places that you never expected them to come. Cause again, I'm wrong a lot. And so that's where things get complicated. And then when you add a camera guy, a second guy in the tree, things get just screwed. Like it is the camera guy thing is really difficult. Like it, I just, I, someday I'm going to hunt alone again and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> but, and that's not the only reason I'm missing, right? Like I didn't have a range. This one scenario we're talking about where I missed like three times in 12 hours that I didn't have a range on the deer because they're running in. And like, like that, that's like, I, I'm, I'm a little sick with myself because of that, but because I always, I'm a tree ranger. Like that's how I've spent my whole life. And it's like, I just like, you got so much going on and it's just, it's just, you're tired. Right. And it's just, you're not paying attention. You're, you're starting to get stressed. It's the whole like physical, mental strain thing, which isn't an excuse, but that's what happened. And you know, I missed the deer. I missed Adam were at 15 yards and I shot over them because I, they were closer than I thought. You know, and like, it's just little things like that. It's very difficult to kill a deer. Like I said in the beginning, you know, so, you know, they never come to the right spot. 
Never. Yeah. And I don't have a good excuse. I just screwed no, up. I, I mean, that's part of it. But I mean, so, and I'm not saying that because I'm like, I'm being judgmental. I'm just saying like. Okay. You can I, be judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because I've, I've, I've said it like, I think I've had a whole podcast on it. It's like for like the hunting public. And, and like, now if you're putting yourself in this position enough times and you're shooting at all yeah. of these deer, like I, I can understand like the guys who are like a, like haven't been in this position a lot. B it's like the first deer of the year and you're like super jacked up and maybe you're a little rusty. So you're like, okay, well, yeah. you know, this is what it is. But then after you miss or you have that problem, like you go and you say, well, don't fuck this up instead of like saying this deer is going to die. And like you get in your own head, but it's like when I, I just didn't know if it was like an equipment issue or something, you know, like, <laughs> no, like it's, <laughs> you know. it's, it, it's a, the, the times that I missed this year were mental lapses where I, let's see, the the deer that I, we didn't recover in Ohio, right? I was sitting on my ass on the top of a pile of trash. And, you know, and I felt really good about that shot. And I had time. I ranged him twice. Like, my entire process was as perfect as it could have been. But it's just, you got you have to have total muscle memory with your bow to be super, super consistent. And I will be the first to admit that I don't shoot my bow enough. I live in the middle of the city. And so when we get in these scenarios, which I'm in a lot, the way I hunt, like I'm in these weird twisted scenarios, deer coming from places I would never expect. And these things happen. So it's not an excuse. It's just their mental lapses. Like not having the range on a deer is like, is the dumbest thing ever. You know, I, I can't even believe I'm, saying that that was part of the deal this year but it just was and you know it is what it is i won't make the mistake again i'll tell you that but yeah i mean you know, it happened that that deer that i you know that i killed in kansas like i didn't i didn't range him but there was nothing to yeah. to range you know i mean the the scenario uh, and that's exactly what i thought happened like when i at first when i missed that deer like i'm Mr. Buck fever. I'm, I'm Mr. Punch the trigger, right? Like you get, you get anchored, you get, you get Brown in the scope and you're like, Oh yeah, here we go. You yeah. Know? And like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like my pins were bouncing or whatever, but th th this was essentially elk hunting. I'm looking at a wide open cornfield cut corn where I have no idea. There, there's no landmark out there to think about like where this deer is walking in. And then when the deer clears the the cedar, it's cedar tree, me, decoy, all in a line. Like I, there's no, there's no offset there. Yeah. And so I, I was trying to figure out like, a was I going to be able to get the full draw without him spooking? Because that's what's going to happen in Michigan. B, how close is he going to get before he just charges this damn decoy and therefore me? And then when, yeah. when all, when all of that meets, there's no way that I'm going to get to draw or he's not going to just run off because there was a man there um, and it's not a real deer. <laughs> so, so by the time I got drawn, 
and he was still walking in. I I was like, okay, I thought I settled it. Okay. And I shot. And then when I got the next arrow, I mean, that was like that one in a thousand times. Well, you know, that deer didn't move, but in my head, I'm saying, you know, you know, everything that John's ever told me in my whole life, like settle your pins, like make sure, you know, make a good shot, yeah. like all of those things. And, you know, I, I've had people, you know, my buddies be like, I can't believe you were composed enough to, to make that shot. This, you know, the follow-up shot. And it's like, I guess if you miss enough or like you, you mess up, like punch the trigger. Right. My brother was in South Dakota. He missed one at, he, he had just a bad range. He, Ranged him at 60 yeah. and he was at 53. And, uh, but he said the next, the next year he could have laid there for an hour. He snuck into like 40 yards on this deer or whatever. He could have laid there for an hour. And he said, for whatever reason, I just popped up, drew back and just punched the trigger and just yeah. set one right through his antlers. And like, like there's no reason that was that, that was like a mental lapse. And so I was just trying to figure out like, you know, from all of that, like to, to, you know, we, like you said, we, you know, we, we put on all these miles, we go all these things, we get up, we don't sleep. We put ourselves in all these positions. And then just to be like, like, you know, for, and and I think it's great for, for, for guys to hear, like, you know, they just see, you know, the, the black Friday ad, the rattling, the deer running around, like all these deer running off and all the, the hero shots, you know? So I think it's good to hear. And I think it's good to hear like, the breakdown of like how it goes yeah. off the rails right oh yeah you'll you'll see it go off the rails in the videos too because like you know we're very passionate about showing what actually happens and and yeah it's just you know like people miss all the time that's the thing like you never see it on traditional hunting media but they're all missing they're all making bad shots and you just don't see it. So if you miss something, just forget about it and move on. Like, yeah, there's no reason to dwell on that. Like, we had a couple misses in our group this year. You know, that look, move on. It's fine. Like, you're going to miss. You're shooting a bow at a moving animal. Like, it's hard. You know, it's not a big deal. So. Uh, I, I love that perspective that the, the, again, like the realness and like, like all of that. And like, there are so many people that would come on here and, you know, trying to like pump themselves up or like whatever their, you know, platform is to be like, Oh, you know, we killed this many deer and we did all this stuff and, and, and all that's well and good, you know, but the, for that, for the every man who's like, why can't I, why can't I ever make it come together? Like all these guys, I, I, I absolutely love that. And I don't know if it was like in, in one of your like grit teasers or something like where it's like you shoot and you turn around and you're like, I can't believe that that just happened. Like, it's like <laughs> I say that almost every time I shoot. <laughs> yeah. It's always uh, a shock. Yeah. So, so, uh, along with the, some of the other stuff and we can get to wrapping this up, but one of the other questions, like, so we always ask like, what's the bow setup and all that stuff. And one of our listeners was like, I want to know his whole setup. Like, like what is it, what is he wearing for like thermals? Like what are his boots? Like what are, what are all the stuff? And then what are some gaps that are out there? Like, 
in the products that are available from the industry, um, you know, things that can be improved upon. Okay. That's a big question. We got insightful listeners. <laughs> well, no, I like it. That's great. <laughs> I, that's cool that you do that. Um, so most importantly, you got to tuck your pants into your socks. That's key. Yeah. It doesn't what kind really of matter. Socks? What kind of socks? <laughs> doesn't matter. I just wear standard like cotton, <laughs> like Dickies socks. That's what I wear. Like Walmart standard. I like a little thicker sock, but not too thick. I don't wear any insulated socks. Um, I like the sickest stuff only because it fits me because I'm skinny as hell. So it fits me, uh, but I still get really cold. So if you're looking for something really warm, I don't know what to tell you there. I will tell you that. So when I walk in, I wear those Equinox pants. I have... I'm going to get shit for saying this, but I'm, I'll say it anyway. I wear Nike um, like military boots because they feel like tennis shoes. And I, I just, I love them. And they discontinued them actually. So I had to buy some like secondhand. They might be knockoffs from China or something, but they just fit my feet so well. <laughs> so Nike hunting boots that are actually the military tactical ones. Um. And then, so I'll walk in with those Equinox pants and I wear a, um, an old fishing onesie thermal <laughs> that, uh, that it's the green thing you guys probably see me wear sometimes. You're probably like, what the hell is that? Um, so I'll walk in with that and just a t-shirt and, and then if it's cold, I wear these, uh. I wear bibs. I love bibs. I like having every, just like my pants and my socks. I like everything tucked in and tight because I, f- I feel warmer. So I, I love bibs as my outermost layer. I'll even tuck my, um, what's the, uh, what's the warm, heavy Sika coat? Is it like the Calvin the, or Stratus or the, I, um, I, I can't afford it. So it's not, not in my, <laughs> I, I draw on a blank. Anyway, I'll even tuck that into my bibs. And um, so bibs are like a big deal for me, any bibs, but I love them. And then if it's if it's really cold, like anything under 30, especially if I have wind, I do wear a down pant and King's Camo makes the one that I have. I'll wear that under my bibs, over my Equinox pants. And I just, they zip all the way up so I can step into them I have them preloaded in my bibs. And so I step into those. I don't zip up the down pants, but I zip up the bibs. Uh, and those down pants are like the best thing that I own. I absolutely love them. So if there's anything you take away from this, it's like get some down pants. Um, up top, I mean, I wear sweatshirts, random crap. Like I don't have a layering system, as you probably imagined, other than that one thermal thing that's just an old um just an old fishing thermal i don't even know what the material is it's like capoline or something like that um that seems to work well but it does get a little hot but it wicks moisture really well i'm sure merino wool is probably the way to go i've just never tried it (laughs) so um and then for my bow i shoot that prime uh oh boy they're gonna be mad at me for not remembering what the model is you'll know what's the new prime bow is it the brand new one that just came the out? One, 
No, the one last year. Wasn't it like the Nexus or? Anyway, the bow is really nice. Whatever the flagship bow was last year, it shoots. It is. I was shooting that RX3 from Hoyt, which I love. I still love it. It feels like I'm shooting a race car or something. It's so harsh and fast. I still like it. But this thing, this prime bow is like, it's smooth. <laughs> it's a whole different world. Really he likes nice shooting ball. it so much. He shoots it at a lot of animals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he wants to get his well, money. You know, you know, his money's thing. worth. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. So that's the other thing. It's like switching bows is tough for me because I'm not a bow tech. So I hate doing it. I hate switching anything. Um, but this this was it's a really really nice bow. Very smooth and the draw on it. I don't know the technical terms for you archery guys. But like the one thing I noticed being totally uneducated on archery is the draw. It is the smoothest, easiest bow I've ever drawn in my life. So whatever that means to you guys. Um, but it is nice. I have that um, spot hog uh, sight on it. I actually don't really like that. Um, it in the, the only reason I don't like it is because we're putting it through a lot and that thing starts to wobble. Maybe that's my problem, <laughs> but it gets a little loose over time. So I'm going to try one of the dialed sites. Um, they just seem like absurdly robust. Um, they're heavy, but they seem like they're rock solid. So I'm going to try that for next year. See how that goes. Um, Broadheads? Uh, I shoot those Exodus three blades. Um so nothing special there, but those do seem to work okay. Although this is embarrassing, but I'll tell I'll tell you anyway. So like that day that I missed those deer in the morning and then shot one, I was out at my broadhead, so I had to put on a old day six broadhead that I had. So I actually shot that deer with a day six broadhead. That did some serious damage, so that worked well too. But other than that, you know, all my, all the gear I'm running, you know, sticks, platforms and stuff. So, so are you running, um, I was going to ask you, are you running, which platform are you running? And then are you running a uh, ring of steps along with it? I run the, the X wing and I, I do not use a ring of steps. I just, I don't see a need for it. Um, Plus extra setup, I hate that. I think I don't want to do that. Um, I don't. But I'm, there are some. Go I'm ahead. Wait, I'm, I'm waiting for your uh, that one stick thingamabob, so I can have you just modify one for me, so I can just go back to my old setup. I I I've hunted off of a platform, and I absolutely hate it. I hate yeah. it with like because I hate the setup. It always makes noise. Not the platform, like, but because I'm, I got another piece of metal to clink around and I just, I mean, yeah, I, I want something on the top stick and I got to tell you, I, I, I haven't told you this before. Uh, so during the, the Patreon hunt I used was like, uh, maybe like the fifth time that I used the latitude sticks and, um, because of that you know, whatever it is, Amsteel, Dyneema, whatever term that cordage is. Um, I set like my second or third stick, like two, 
uh, too tight. Like I didn't set it. So it was like bouncy. Yep. And I got it caught in my, I think, I think what ended up happening was my bridge caught it. Like when I was like moving up. So that one kicked out. So it was just hanging there. So I ended up having to set up my platform, but I was on those. I was on the bottom step of one of those sticks on my knees fumbling around to get everything set up and basically one stick down and got it set up. But, and it was in a legitimate hundred percent downpour, uh, at that point. And, uh, this, I, I was telling Tim Clark, I was like, I put these, I put this stick through something it was never, ever, ever designed for to have a 225 pound man on his knees on a the stick in a downpour like people are like yeah. well how do you like them like well, i i absolutely love them and i they do things that like that i you know they, they take the abuse that i'm gonna give it adam i don't want to hear about this honestly <laughs> uh, god yeah well anyway i'm glad that that worked out okay <laughs> but so, but yeah so i what did you the, actually the ring of steps there are advantages to them. Like if you're, if you're somebody who, I don't know, if you're somebody who's really particular about your, maybe I should be more particular about this based on my track record. But if you're really particular about your shooting stance, like I could see where a ring of steps would be beneficial. You know? Well, I was just reading something the other day and, and it, it was somebody who had, had said that they had like gone back and forth with you about adding a ring of steps to their platform. And it was like about a weak side shot. And I was like, I never really, I, that to me has been like, I don't want to say like problematic, but it, but you, uh, it seems like, just like you said, like the deer always come from like where you didn't think they were going to, and then you're dealing with that weak side shot. And like, I don't ever think about like that, you know, uh, whatever, like the John Eberhart style of, you know, wandering, you know, walking around the tree, like either to get out of the deer's sight. I mean, everybody leans out of the way, you know, and, and does that. But as far as like making those weak side shots, like with adding a ring of steps and you guys have that, you know, built in strap holder or whatever into the, into the upright there. So I just didn't know if that was, um, something that you, I mean, I know that that's like probably Kevin's baby, but at the same time, yeah. like, yeah, Kev, he likes the ring of steps, but a hundred percent like that backside shot can be made easier on a bigger tree. If you have a ring of steps, I try to avoid big, bigger trees, you know, you know, this big, and you know, probably anything over, 20 inches in diameter I'm trying to avoid. The other thing that's different about me is that I usually go up and over my bridge to take my backside shot. I'm usually not shooting around the tree. Um, Mainly now because I, you know, I'd be shooting D-Rock, you know, (laughs) because he's over there. But (laughs) even when I didn't have that, even when I didn't have another guy in the tree with me, I would still go up and over just because sometimes I'm lucky enough to set up where the deer are coming on the opposite side of the tree. So like, if I move over there, I'm on the same side of the tree as them. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely a personal preference thing for sure. And then, so the second part of that question is like, what gaps do you see 
like wh- where where can um, you know some of the products or some of the things like be improved upon? Uh, bino harnesses. Oh. Um, I hate them. So, <laughs> dude, I, I I love the bino harness, and I have the Alaskan Guide Creations. I've used a whole bunch of them, and that one has the two pieces of elastic on the top. And so John's got me into like, that's where you put your phone. So like, you know, you're doing all your stuff, you check your maps, you're looking at all your stuff and you put it right back there. You know where it's at. It's secured climbing with it in the saddle. Like that's what I'm every other time I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And I don't know like what, how to get around it because that's where, and, and this is all my fault and it's very easily solvable, but that's where I have all my licenses. So it's like, I have to bring it with me every single time I've got my release wow. in there. So it's like, if I don't bring my, cause I did it last year, I like, I'm not bringing the bino harness, get all the way up in the tree, get set up like right where I needed to be everything, you know, 45 minutes, an uh-huh. hour before daylight. And then I'm like, I don't have my release. So then I had to climb oh, down no. the tree, run back to the truck. Like, Oh my God, you know, yeah. I was screwed. Yeah, the bino harness, like, as soon as you leave the ground is is just, it's terrible. And so, <laughs> if I have any say in the matter, we're going to figure out a solution for that. But I'll tell you what, usually, like, usually I'll be sitting out there and I can come up with some crazy idea that Jake and Kev will probably tell me won't actually work. But I, like, I can't really even come up with something for this. You know, it's it's a weird piece of gear and it's it's important because you i I do i have become a believer in having your optics out there when you're hunting um, especially scouting around like that's that's been important to me especially this year um but yeah yeah, so the bino harness could be improved for sure for sure um and outside of that I'm I'm not a uh I think you could do a really cool like um like access to to water like access to a water bottle like for some reason that's annoying to me in the tree uh but I'm just I'm not that picky with gear I'm really not like I like my my bow I like my release uh, obviously I'm a little biased to the climbing stuff and the saddle um my clothes like i just i don't really care so like that seems okay to me i don't know i'm pretty happy overall so well i i mean i got 100 percent agree with you and like that one of the things is i was like earlier in the season i was like i was like well i'll just hang my binos over here well i found myself in a position where you know i'm i'm glassing yeah and then there's a deer right there I don't have yeah. my bino harness on. So I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with these binoculars? Yeah. You know? So then I'm trying that to constantly to me. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, the worst. it's a nightmare. Like, and I know, I, and I know the listeners are going to say like, there's like that. Uh, I, don't, I forget the guy's name. It's like Rick something um, where it's just kind of like a, uh, like a paracord type harness that just holds them right here. Um it's a very minimalist one. And like, I've used like the vortex one, like that you see on like the hunting public. That's just like the elastic one, but it, 
your vinyl's way too much for the elastic that's in it. So they end up down like around your waist and like they're bouncing around when you're walking around. Like that's not good enough. So maybe I need to try that. Like I forget what the guy's name is. God, I'll remember. It's I'll have to try that too. It's just like what you just hit on it though. Like, cause the vinyl harness is extremely nice when you're moving around. And then when you get in the tree, all, all hell breaks loose. So I don't know. I'll have to play around with some things on that. So rattling antlers too. Like those things are a pain in the butt. One of the deer I met, I was rattling that deer came in. I talked about earlier. I didn't even have time to put my ant. And this is like, I should have had somewhere to put it, but still they're going to make noise. And I'm a big advocate for using real antlers. So I like ended up putting them in between my legs and I had a backside shot with D-Rock on this side of me. So I had to shoot behind his ass. So he's like ducking out of the way and my antlers are in between my legs. It's just a total shit show, you know? <laughs> and so you got to figure out some storage for rattle antlers too, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, but, and that's what kind of sounds like cost Aaron a deer in Kansas was going probably, over his, yeah. over his, over his bridge. Oh, and I yeah, think his, yeah. Yeah. Hit the hit the yeah. rattling antlers and locked up the deer. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I haven't been in too many situations where I've I've rattled. Like I rattled in some does in Kansas while I was there, and then you yeah. know my daughter was cracking them together all weekend, and that's about the extent of the rattling that I've ever yeah. done. So yeah, yeah. Well, you should smack those things together more. <laughs> they seem to work. It's funny you say that about the doe. I had a doe. One night, D-Rock, we got, D-Rock and I got real desperate in Indiana one night. I'm like, dude, let's just walk around, try and sound like some bucks intruding the area or something, see what happens. Threw on the face paint, got all pumped up, and we're down there, like, doing all this shit. This, you guys are going to just laugh so hard when you watch this, because I look like an idiot. And But, you know, <laughs> of course... This doe comes screaming down to this, and behind on the doe is a buck. So we like called in a doe, which dragged a buck in. <laughs> so it was just weird. And on that same trip, I saw there was a there were two bucks and some does, and this doe actually chased a another doe off the buck. So I thought that was really I've never seen that before a protective doe like that. But it makes yeah, I, sense, I guess. But I had uh, a buck like run past me in Kansas and then I saw him over there like working a scrape and then another buck came through and then there there was another buck coming out and they were like kind of like bristled up like side to side and these were just little bucks, you know, and then they did whatever they were going to do and parted ways and one went this way and one went the other way. So then I was like, well, what happens if I rattle and I rattled? hang up the antlers and I look and three doe come running down the hill, like right, <laughs> so, right to there. And I was like, yeah. well, that's not what I expected. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's something or Hey, Adam, I think we're onto something there. <laughs> Start rattling in the does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, to kind of wrap this up, like what can, uh, everybody expect like from latitude and from you guys with the grit and, and all that stuff. And then like what, um, uh, you know, what do you have in store for the, for the year coming up? Um, so, you know, great. You can kind of expect, a, say, you know, we'll show the whole season. Well, it, it'll be real. Probably going to 
you know, there might be some people that hate me after it, and there might be some people that like me. We'll see what happens. But uh, so that'll be great. That'll be interesting. Um, and then uh, as far as latitude goes, we have some really cool stuff in the works. Um, some stuff I, I, I can't talk about because it involves some collaboration with others. Um, but it is very exciting and you'll see um, the majority of it at ATA. Um, so it'll be launched next year. Uh, I think there's five, seven products, we'll say in that range. Um, we'll see which ones end up making it to the finish line. Um, but we are very excited about that, along with some new team members that, are, that will be joining us. Um, so we got some cool stuff going on, and that'll all be kind of announced and shown at ATA this year. Awesome. And so um, where can everybody follow along, keep up to date, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, the, the best communication is, is is done on you know Instagram and Facebook. Um, we do have we did add um, like text messaging communications, um, and that's where we send out some special some special pricing or, or special event information through that. Um, but the best thing to do is just Instagram and Facebook, and then grits on YouTube. Um, so if you want to follow along on that, just subscribe, and you'll get all that. You'll get all that served to you, as I'm sure you you want. So, all the standard stuff. Well, awesome. We appreciate the conversation and uh, good catching up again. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Adam.